just out of interest there, what's Elon Musk like as a man? He's not a chatter. Not the kind of guy that just goes, hey, Sims, you know, what did you watch on Netflix last night? <laughs> Couldn't give a shit. Everything he does needs to move the needle. Yeah, okay. He needs to know what you're working on, what problems, you're, how can we solve that now? It's like being interrogated <laughs> to a point. And you're like, oh, shit, <laughs> I just want to tell you what I had for a meal last night. <laughs> Believe it or not, at the time, NASA was publicly humiliating him for a civilian trying to enter into the space industry. Yeah. They literally were ridiculing him. And one of my clients that, that I introduced to him turned around and said, so Elon, how do you feel about NASA publicly humiliating you? And Elon, without even batting an eyelid, without even looking at the guy, just turned around and said, they'll always laugh at you before they applaud. Welcome to the Eventful Entrepreneur. I'm your host, Dodge, and I'm the CEO and founder of the Bournemouth Sevens Festival and the revolutionary event crowd, our new online events course. On this podcast, I speak to fascinating people who have all lived eventful lives. So if you want to hear more like this, make sure you subscribe, leave us a glowing review, and you can follow me on Instagram at Dodge Woodall. I reply to every single message. When it comes to throwing parties for the ultra rich and famous, there's one man they all go to. Steve Sims went from laying bricks to organising the most extravagant and lavish parties for the likes of Elton John, Richard Branson and Elon Musk. His talent for being able to make the impossible happen for the biggest spenders gave him the reputation of being the real-life Wizard of Oz. He has worked with some of the richest people on the planet and has some crazy stories to tell. Here is the eventful life of Mr Steve Sims. Hey Steve, welcome to the show mate. That's a pleasure to be here. Lovely, lovely, lovely to have you on here. Uh, where in the world are you at the moment? I'm sitting here in uh, slightly fresh but uh, sunny California, Los Angeles. Wonderful, mate. Wonderful. Right, let's get cracking. Um, tell me, how did you get into the events industry? Oh, it's truth. Um, aggravation, yeah. to be honest with you. Um, I was a bricklayer. Uh, left school at the age of 15. Uh, my family owned a tiny little construction firm that did patios and extensions and the odd, uh, the odd uh, house job. And I ended up getting straight into that. And I thought, hang on, this is my life. Yeah. Um, th this is what I'm, it's going to happen. My granddad was on the building site, my cousins, my uncle. And I just thought to myself, I want to find out how you know, rich people are. So I, I left the you know, construction firm. I went into a ton of jobs that I failed at, you know, stockbroking, truck driving, uh, insurance sales, a whole host of jobs that were just not a, a good fit for me. And the worst job that I got was a doorman of a nightclub. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I left Brick Lane to better my life, and here I am on the door of a nightclub. And it wasn't even a, a cool nightclub. Um, and I thought to myself, is this it? But you know the funny thing? And especially about entrepreneurs, when you're in the shit, sometimes you can find the diamonds. Yes, mate. And I'm I'm a doorman of a nightclub, and all of a sudden, I'm getting to see how people interact. I'm getting to see the lads that are out for a fight. I'm getting to see the girls that are out for a pickup. I'm getting to see <laughs> the guys and girls out that are celebrating contracts, birthdays. You know, they haven't seen each other, and you could pick this up on body language. Yeah. So the funny thing is, being a doorman suddenly became an education, gave me a PhD in body language yeah. and how people connected. And I thought, this is fascinating. And then what I did was I thought, well, okay, if I want to talk to rich people, rich people like going out. They like cool clubs. They like good events. If I can find out where all the best events, and bear in mind, this was the early 90s, pre-Google and yeah. pre-iPhone. And where were you? Where were you, in the, where were you in the world at this time? Oh, well, that's... That's a whole freaking episode on its own. I actually applied for a job in Hong Kong as a trainee stockbroker from London <laughs> and got the bloody thing. <laughs> and I lasted two days before I was fired. So I'm now in Hong Kong. Yeah. No mates, no friends, not knowing the area. Uh, my, my, my girlfriend, who became my wife, is in England. And I'm phoning her up each week going, oh, it's great. I'm loving being a stockbroker. <laughs> when... I never had yeah. anything. So, and half the time you couldn't understand the language. So I'm in what was <laughs> supposed to be a bad 
part of my life, which actually ended up becoming the better. And from working on the door, I started closing the club early, yeah. only for the VIPs. Yeah. And then I would start throwing my own parties. And then I would take over yachts and mansions. And I just wanted to see how big I could get. But my main, my main filter was unless you were a millionaire, you couldn't get into my parties. Yeah. And the only reason was, I didn't care about throwing a party. You're fantastic at events. You're well known <laughs> for events. Yeah. But for me, I didn't want to do this. All I wanted to do was stand in a room full of millionaires and billionaires, hoping that that <laughs> would kind of rub off into me. Yeah. 25 years later, I'm working from everyone from the Vatican to Sir Elton John. So it's just kind of, it went crazy. Wow. So wow. So tell me what age you were when you left East London to move to Hong Kong. And then what age you were in Hong Kong when you first started throwing parties? Uh, 19. And I started throwing the parties kind of uh, probably about, you know, tw just over 20. 20. So I was quite young, but I was... I was a biggish lad. I looked older. But yeah, well, I was it was in my early teens. And again, it was just that aggravation gene. Yeah. Like you with your events. You go to and of course you're in the industry, but you go to someone's event and you get to see the tiny details that most people don't know. Agree. You know, it's like when you're in because I do I have a marketing company now and we deal in product placement. Yeah. So when you watch a movie and you see the guy check his watch, you know that the watch company paid yeah. to be viewed. And all the all the bad guys are in like, you know, Mercedes or BMWs or something. So I see that product placement. When you go to an event, you notice how the, the air condition is, how the flow is up yeah. to the bar, where the, you notice all of those things. Yeah. So that's what happened to me. I just suddenly had a, a, an aggravation of how things were being done mm. and thought, I've got to be able to do it better myself. Yeah. And of course, you don't. Yeah. You learn. <laughs> you fail and you make mistakes. Yeah. And that's where the education yeah. came from. So I'm glad to say they got better. Yeah, happy days, mate. So you've you put on some of the biggest parties for some of the biggest A-listers around the world. Tell me where how you first threw the first party and, and who is it for? Uh, well, I actually threw a party. I was throwing a lot of parties in Hong Kong. Uh, and inviting a lot of very wealthy expatriates from America, Australia, and Europe. Yeah. Um, and then I actually had a Chinese family that contacted me uh, for Kowloon. And they said, look, we've got a, uh, one of our daughters is having a party. You know, can you throw this party? And she was like 21 years old, but she wanted all the local A-list society and socialites <laughs> and all this kind of thing. And I was like, well, okay, it really depends on, on your budget. You know, and I'm thinking I'm going to get like, well... I could stretch to 10 grand, you know, maybe 12 or something like that. And they went, well, we don't want to go over 250. <laughs> and I'm thinking, Love it. You know, God, <laughs> back in the 90s. Yeah, and I'm like, all right, yeah, yeah you know, I can, and it, you know, typical Londoner, you can like, yeah, game I'm on. In. Oh, I'm in. Yeah, I'll definitely do that. No problem. <laughs> and then, then you go home and start chewing through your nails going, fuck, I don't yeah. want to do this. You know, what do I do? But, you know, I was already in and I noticed, I noticed early on, you have two choices. Yeah. In, in, in any entrepreneur out there, you have two choices in how you market. You market down or you market up. Yeah. And most people, they'll do something, they'll create a product, they'll create a party, and then they'll go, okay, how can I fill it? Well, I'll start at doing $20 tickets and then there'll be a $50 kind of like, you know, front of the line mm. and then there'll be a, you know, a $500 your VIP. And I thought to myself, no, I'm only going to go up. Agree. So I, I started marketing and it was very weird. I, uh, my tickets were a thousand dollars to get into my party. Yeah. Love it. Which <laughs> let's be blunt, dodgy, yeah, stupid. <laughs> yeah, you know? and Think I would big. Get like, yeah. I would get 40, 50 people in it and I'd make sure there was some, you know, serious lady models yeah. in there. Yeah. You know, you'd make sure you, you grab the local celeb that you could. Yeah. Uh, maybe Mercedes would kind of like pick up some of the people and bring them along. So you started doing this and then you're going to love this story. <laughs> so one day I get a knock on the door of this little shitty office I had. And this guy comes in and he was the, the, the Chinese equivalent of the food and beverage commission. Oh. <laughs> right? And he came in and he said to me, uh, Mr. Sims, uh, you're, you're not allowed to do any more of your parties. We've heard about your parties. Um, until you get uh, the license. 
And of course, I didn't know what I was doing. So I was like, what license? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he said, because you, you've been uh, you've been selling drinks and food and you need this license. So like, you know, being an idiot, you know, I pull out the checkbook and I'm like, well, okay, how much is that going to cost me? He's like, no, 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 no. You need to apply. Oh, and I said, so when do I get this? And he said, well, it could take anywhere up to six to 10 months to get this. I'm like, you've got to be <laughs> Next Friday, I've got a gig going on. And he's like, and he looked at me, he said, no, you haven't. Yeah. And he said, you can't be doing any events while you're selling, um, selling food and drink. He said, if you gave it away, it'd be a different question. I went, what? Yeah. Hang on a minute. Yeah, all in. Back up. <laughs> I said, so you're telling me, if I didn't sell the food and the drinks inside the club, I wouldn't need you. And he's like, no. He said, you, I am here because you are selling the food and the drinks. Yeah. I went, well, you can piss days. off. I'm never selling it. So <laughs> I put my tickets up to $2,000 yeah. and then they went up to five grand, yeah. a party, which yeah. again is stupid. And all food and drink is included. Mm. Um, and I used to have cars picking them up so they could get completely wasted and they'd be taken back. <laughs> and it was an all-inclusive thing. And two things happened. The first thing that happened is I had built up my parties to like 100 people yeah. and then like 50 extras that yeah. I'd brought in, yeah. you know? Uh, you know, the floaters, the yeah, pretty yeah, people. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that 150 very quickly went down to like about 75, Okay. So these were small, intimate, you know, events on a yacht or something yeah. like that. And then the word got around that my parties were only for like millionaires and billionaires. <laughs> so when you've got that kind of marketing going around, yeah. everyone wants to be Absolutely. on it. So two events kind of like floated around about 75. And I thought to myself, I'm not going to be able to stay in business, you know, and grow this thing. Yeah with only 75 people. And then the next time I'm promoting an event, like 200 and something wanted to come. Yeah. And I was like, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> so I charged more. Yeah. I brought in some, some extra little things. And I tried to give people what they imagined would be a super sexy party. So yeah. it was always in a penthouse, a mansion. It was never in a normal kind of location. Yeah. Once I had left, taken over the back end of a nightclub, I always try to go for something a little bit quirky, yeah. a little bit different, and give them a little bit of a taste of you know the parties they see on Hollywood. Yeah. So where so you were doing this in Hong Kong? How long were you in Hong Kong for before you then moved on to the next country to do what you're doing today? So I, I went from Hong Kong. Hong Kong shut down in '97. So then I moved down to Bangkok because I was adamant about staying in the uh, Pacific Asian region. Yeah. Um, then I moved over to Geneva. Uh, because what I was doing, and this you, you'll find this funny, I would get these parties and have like 200 really rich people in them. Yeah. And then I would go to someone like Cartier or Mercedes and go, hey, how would you like to be involved in a party with only 200 of the richest people in this town? And they'd be like, yeah, and I'd be like, great, $30,000 yeah. and it'd be brought to you by Mercedes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was charging the people to get into the event and I was charging sponsors to actually have their name on the yeah. event. So... I thought to myself, I've got about six months of getting away with this. Yeah, yeah before they cut uh, on. <laughs> yeah, before they cut and before I'm done and I'm going to have to get a day job. Um, but I went down to Geneva and then some of the Swiss banks got wind and were like, oh, we'd like to sponsor some of the events. And they said, <laughs> again, you'll love, they said, do you do events in Monaco? Like, of course I, I do course events I in Monaco. <laughs> Of course I do all the time, man. You know I've got a so, team there. I've got a full time team there. I, I am. I am basically Monaco. Um, so it just went on like it just went on like this, and uh, I started doing the Monaco Formula One parties, yep. uh, and then I was involved with uh, Ferrari, which was great, and Asprey, uh, the jewelers. Um, oh right. Yeah. So basically, my my network just started getting big, and then they were like, "Oh, are you involved in Stard?" Uh, the, the Cartier Polo Challenge. And yeah, it just started leapfrogging yeah. around. Um, and then it just dragged me over stateside because then so how I old, was... How old of, were you then when you yeah. went to America? Oh, um, I was... I've been here 21 years now, so it was late 30s. Late 30s. So you must have built up a, a great reputation by then. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I never did anything small. And my little tip has always been go for stupid, Yeah, you know? Go for some, 
go for something so ridiculous yeah. that people are going to laugh at you yeah. before they cheer. Yeah, agree. You know, and so well said. I, yeah, I always went yeah. for like that kind of like uh, how how stupid can I go yeah. this? Um, <laughs> and along the way, not only was I building up a good collection of the right kind of people, mm-hmm. but I was also getting really good at the marketing and branding. Yeah, and. I was, you know, I had no formal education of this, but when I was doing someone's product launch, they wanted me to do the party. Yeah. But then I would look at it and I'd be like, well, why are you, why is your brochure green? You know, and, and why are you using that text? And I would, I was getting into this whole kind of yeah. thing. So I was not only able to get the right people into the event by giving people what they thought the event would uh, be, but I was also behind the scenes able to market and rework the event to maybe be better financial or to, you know, if it was a charity event like Sir Elton John's Oscar party, yeah. be able to raise bigger funds, um, you know, for the, for the event. So I became very good at the marketing and branding. Yeah. So I ended up doing the New York Fashion Week, um, Palm Beach Polo, Bridgehampton Polo, the Grammys, Sir Elton John's Oscar party. Uh, I think I said the Kentucky Derby, Ferrari Cavalino Classic. I just literally ended up doing all of these big events. And of course, when you do one event... Yeah, everyone wants you for the other. Everyone wants yeah. you, but bearing in mind, the, 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 the main core of that group is a bunch of wealthy people. Yeah. <laughs> and they were saying things like, oh, can you get me, you know, you know so-and-so, and you can you... So all of a sudden, without realizing it, I was doing events, I was marketing and branding, but now I became the Make-A-Wish Foundation for, for basically billionaires. Yeah. And I was getting uh, drum lessons by Guns N' Roses. I got clients on stage <laughs> with their favorite rock band. I was getting them in a Formula One car. I was getting them like Birkin handbags, you know, and avoiding the two-year wait list. And Forbes then did an expose on me and called me the real-life Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Which <laughs> just like threw me up even more. Amazing. So what was your business model then? Were you actually taking the risk or were you getting someone at Elton to say, right, there's a million quid, throw me an amazing party. How did it work back then? Well, your business model, Jesus, that could have been written on the back of half a stamp. Yeah. Um, I t- Quite honestly, I thought I had six months tops. Yeah. So every time a party got pulled off, I was like, well, may- maybe I can get one more gig yeah. out of this before I got shut down. Um, and I never, I never had a business model. Yep. Um, and the way that it was always work was, and it's kind, it's kind of averse to your 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 big events that you yep. throw, because yep. um, you have a lot of outlay. Mm, okay, yeah. when you're doing small events, you can play on the tease and the anticipation. Yes. So this is one thing that I I, I learned very early on, and again, it's really weird, and I do it now. I have a, I, I train a lot of entrepreneurs and I have something called Sims Speakeasy. Okay. okay. So what I do is I didn't know how many people would buy tickets from me. I didn't know how many millionaires or billionaires I would have that wanted to come to the party. So what I would do is I would say, look, the party is in this area of town, you know, like West London. Yep. And it's on this date. And you purchase your ticket and you will be revealed the location a week prior. Lovely. Now, with that, I was all paid up front. Yeah. I knew I had 100 people. So get some pretty extras. I've got 150. Yeah. So then I ha- all I had to do was find a venue that could comfortably look after 180. Yeah. And I was golden. Yeah. But a lot of people make the mistake unless you've got the reputation that you have and the following. But a lot of people getting into this industry. They go, well, I'm going to throw a party. I want it for 300 people. So I'm going to get a venue that can host 300. And then you're kind of chasing your ass to pay that. Yeah, yeah. But no, I went in reverse. And as I say, I run these um, entrepreneur masterminds throughout America now. And I don't know where they're going to be. Mm. So I literally go, hey, I'm going to do one in San Diego. Um, Do you want to be there? It's $2,000. People pay. And then I find a venue closer to the time i have no liability yeah fantastic so tell me about the elon musk and richard branson and uh elton john what's your relationship with those guys oh only a few then um (laughs) wow so i'm sure there's a lot more (laughs) yeah how do we how do we back up on those so um richard branson run uh or wanted to run an event on necker island for entrepreneurs yeah 
So we structured an event that for once, because you have to rent the entire island. Yes. And there's certain times a year that you can rent part of the island. What sort of money um, are you talking? Uh, it was about $180,000. For? Um, you know, for, for, the, for, the, for, the, for, the, for this weekend that we were weekend. doing. Weekend, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was, big, well, it was a bit more than a week. I think it was like four days. Yeah. Uh, and what we would do is separate all the accommodation into rooms that were shareable. Yeah. Um, now, each house had a few bedrooms in it. So, and then he's got a few houses on Necker Island. And we would um, invite entrepreneurs, obviously charge them, so that they could spend four days, you know, masterminding with other serious level entrepreneurs and at the same time get to hang out with Sir Richard Branson. Yeah. Um, that was one of the events that, that was done. And I did that with a friend of mine called Yannick Silver and Joe Polish. And then um, the other thing that we did was I ended up working for his mum. You know, sadly, she yeah. passed away. Yeah. But she run an event, or she wanted to run an event for Marrakesh. So we put an event together called Rock the Casbah, which was like <laughs> this high-level party yeah. um, where people would come in, get to hang out with Eve Branson and, of course, her mates. Yeah. Richard would always be there to support his mum. So he would always be there. So I did those two events for the Branson family. Um, and, I, you know, I've arranged speaking gigs for Richard and stuff like that before. Um, and then with uh, Elon Musk, just before NASA took them on and, and sealed the partnership, they did events where they had very, very wealthy individuals uh, come in to learn about the future of space technology and to potentially you know, invest or back or to be part of the SpaceX program throughout the planet. And we did an event over there. We had 30 people. Uh, we had 30 people in SpaceX in Hawthorne with Elon. And I think <laughs> we had something like about, it was something like about two and a half times that of security outside to protect the people in. Because we had the richest family in Mexico we had the richest family in India. We had the richest family in Shanghai at the time. So in that 30 people, we had basically the top 10 of the richest people in the planet. Bloody hell. Was, was in that room. Wow. Um, and it was fantastic. So that was with uh, Elon. Um, and I, re I really enjoyed, and I worked with Tesla and the Gigafactory doing events and stuff. Um, and then with Sir Elton John. What's, um, uh, just, just out of interest there, what's Elon Musk like as a man? He's not a chatter. No. He's not the kind of guy that just goes, hey, Sims, you know, what did you watch on Netflix last night? <laughs> Couldn't give a shit. <laughs> he literally would be like, you know, uh, what are you working on? You know, what, what, what is your impact at the moment? What are you building a solution for? Yeah. He wants to move, everything he does needs to move the needle. Yeah, okay. So every conversation he gets involved in, it's like, so what trouble are you having? With it's almost like a miniature mastermind. When you start talking to him, he needs to know what you're working on, what problems, you, how can we solve that now? It's like being interrogated <laughs> to a point. And you're like, oh, shit, I just, want you, I just want to tell you what I had for a meal last night. <laughs> but, um, and the guy, the guy really, he was one of my turning points. Okay. What year are we talking here, Steve? Uh, five, five years ago, six okay. years ago. Okay. Right on the cusp of um, NASA. Yeah. Um, and at the time, believe it or not, at the time, NASA was publicly humiliating him for a civilian trying to enter into the space industry. Yeah, that's right. They literally were ridiculing him. You can yeah. find those tweets. And I remember speaking to him, one of my clients that, that I introduced to him turned around and said, so Elon, how do you feel about NASA publicly humiliating you? And Elon, without even batting an eyelid, without even looking at the guy, just turned around and said, they'll always laugh at you before they applaud. Yeah. And that was it. That's a that great one-liner, isn't it? Oh, it, was, it stayed with me forever. Yeah. But I think I quoted it earlier on in yeah. this. So. I wouldn't mind quoting that. Quote, you yeah. should, there you go. Happy but time. I remember one of the things that I picked up on dealing with the very affluent people that, that I was now. Um, and of course, you've named three very famous people. Yeah. I've worked with people that have owned things like countries that you don't know. Right. Um, Example? Just like, <laughs> no, I'm not going to drop that. I drop the celebrity names. I don't drop the private <laughs> yeah. names because I like having my feet and yeah. toes. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there, there are people out there and when things go wrong, 
they lean into the problem to find out where it went wrong. Yeah. You see, the entrepreneur today, yeah. the, the the guy that thinks, oh, being an entrepreneur is so sexy, yeah. you know, they lose two grand and they hold their head and they go, oh my God, yeah. the world's over. Dodge, how many times have you got your ass handed to you on an event? Yeah, yeah. You know, it just happens, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. You know, it's what gives you your education. Yeah. And then you get your ass handed to you. You lose money on event. You write the contract badly. You, you do the wrong sponsorship deal. And then you go, okay, I'm never going to do that again. I'm going to change the way I tweak, write this. I'm tweak and tweak. You tweak. But the entrepreneurs don't. I know they so don't. So I know it's successful people. They yeah. lean into the failure, lean into the problem to see where it went to shit yeah. so that they don't repeat it again. The entrepreneurs, they run for the hills and, you know, throw a pity party. It, it, so that was that was the big thing I mm. noticed. Isn't it funny with billionaires how they, you know, they're not on social media, they're not really in the limelight, but they're the wealthiest people on the planet. What What's so different about them, do you think? Three things. Yeah. Three. I'll give you three things. Yep. The first one I've already given you, they lean into the problem. Yep. Every time there's a shit, they lean into yep. it because that's where the education is. Yep. You don't become successful from success. You, come, you become successful from the failure and learning what went wrong. Yep. That's the first yep. thing. Second thing is relationship capital. Yeah. They are heavily, heavily focused on getting into business with the right people. Yeah. They really focus on people. That's why, jokingly, you see movies and you see programs of rich people going to dinner with people, you know? And yeah. you, do, well, you don't do a JV over the bloody internet because yeah. you met him and you like the Facebook postings. Face to they face. take the time to get to know the people yeah they're going to be working with. Yeah. So relationship capital is very, very important. And the third thing, they are very, very aware of what they can't purchase. Yeah. And that's time. Yeah. So they don't waste it. So yeah. that's when you you start you suddenly start noticing the the Bill the Bill Gates, the Steve Jobs, the, the Elton Johns, the Elon Musks, they literally will just go, okay, is this important to me? Will this meeting move the needle? Yeah. Can I get involved? In it? Because I've got a lot of stuff over here to do. And they very much focus on that time. So those are the three things. And social media, understand this. Elon Musk is not a chatty person, mm. but he'll always come out when he's got something to sell. Yeah. So the yeah. Cybertruck, <laughs> you'll see him. SpaceX, you'll see him. Tesla, when the Tesla a car went up in flames. You see him. Yeah. So it's amazing how many of these people are introverts, but they know when they need to step forward, yeah. they They're do. There, yeah. So tell me about the difference. Obviously, we grew up with marketing and promoting before social media. That was old school, face-to-face, -face, flyers, posters, word of mouth. How has it been for you since social media has come on the scene in the past sort of 12 years? I'm not quite sure I'm very good at it. I would say that I'm probably inappropriate more times than I'm not. Um, <laughs> I think I think the problem with marketing and branding in the social world is it's given the chance and you're you know you're slightly older than 20 so you'll remember this <laughs> if I met you and I started talking to you about something I could do you get a feeling in your gut whether I'm full of shit or yeah, not 100 you know yeah. you get this kind of like is this, is, can this guy pull it off yeah. And of course, in the early stages, I didn't know if I could. Yeah. And then along the along the line, you know, I've ended up with all the credibility to be able to do it. Yeah. Uh, and that becomes confidence yeah. and experience. You replicate that in the digital world. Yeah. And you you play with it and you pretend. And I've often said there's so many influencers out there now selling bloody 1099 oh, courses oh, on how to build up credibility and get billionaire clients. Yeah when they have neither of those. Yeah. And so you could literally put a website together today saying that I throw bigger events than Dodge. Yeah. Okay. And you, you could put that website out there and you may get some fools out there that would believe it. Yeah. So you've got to realize that the digital ecosystem and the internet has taught a lot of people to become stupider. Mm. So in the world of marketing, there's only one thing that matters. You need to remove confusion from your message. You need to be crystal clear. Keep it simple. And you need, how many people aren't though? Oh, you mate, know, they build a website me. and then they go and get a copywriter. Yeah. Writes in their tone, not yours. Yeah. yeah. And, and then you put it on your website because it sounds smart. Yeah. And then the guy phones you up and your website's got words that you couldn't even yeah. pronounce. Yeah. Don't spell. <laughs> and you're on the phone going, 
Hi, mate. How you yeah. doing? And the guy's going, hang on. That's this just the wording the from the website. <laughs> yeah. And so you're, bre- you're breeding this confusion. Yeah. Yeah. So the way that I teach people to market and brand is, is it's an extension and an amplification of you yes. to cause and create a conversation yep. with you. So a lot of people think, I'll throw it on the internet and it's done. They don't realize that the internet is there to get people to come back yeah. to have a chat with you. Yeah, totally agree, mate. Totally agree. Isn't it funny how sort of the world of entrepreneurs, when we were growing up, no one knew what entrepreneur was. It wasn't a cool thing. Oh, but like, you imagine Christ. in the 80s, 90s, 2000, everyone wanted to be a footballer or a DJ or a rock star. All of those now want to be entrepreneurs. It's funny you bring that up. And we can all think of Del Boy. Yeah, you know, Del Boy was what we thought was a... You know, good old brothers. Yeah, if you were an entrepreneur, it's because you had a bunch of dodgy old audio in the back of your truck. Um, But I remember being at school in an area called Basingstoke, you know, that very affluent (laughs) area of the world. And um, I I don't know what I did in school, but I got in trouble when I was taken to the headmaster's office and I got a cane across the palm of my hand, okay? And the guy hit me, you know, the, the headmaster hit me once. And, of course, you don't want to cry. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hurt. But before he hit me with a second lashing, he said to me, Sims, you're nothing more than a hustler. Yeah. Now, the funny thing is, I couldn't understand why that was a bad thing. Yeah. Now, he gave me then two more lashings, but I still could never remember the second and third lashing because I was like, well, why is that bad? Yeah. Now, if someone comes into your group tomorrow and says, hey, Dodge, you know, you're putting on this, uh, this event next week. You ain't going to find a better hustler than me, man. You're going to employ him on Absolutely. the spot. Absolutely. Bang, you're in. You know? yeah, good man. You yeah, know? good man. Yeah. So it is funny how you're right. Being a hustler and being an entrepreneur is not only a requirement, it's almost revered now yeah. as the new rock star. Yeah, agree. Agree. So going back, tell me a bit more about some some crazy parties you've put on regarding oh, I know, submarines down to the Titanic or James Bond. Or Tell me some more detail. Well, probably to give you one that, that may kind of like, uh, you know, shift your hairs. Um, I had a client that contacted me and said he wanted to show off how powerful and connected he was. He wanted to throw a small, intimate dinner party in Florence, yep. um, Italy. And he went, you know, show, show, me, show me off. Let me let people see how powerful I am. So, again, I always go for stupid. And along the way, (laughs) I've got turned down many times. But the whole thing about the moonshot is if you miss that, then you grab a star. Of course. It's a a metaphor that a lot of people go, So I always have, like, my number one. Okay, if I'm going to throw a party in London, where would be the most ridiculous place? Hey, Buckingham Palace. That's my go for stupid. (laughs) And then you go back from there. So... When he said Florence, I thought to myself, okay, if you're in Paris and you throw a party, you have to have the Eiffel yes. Tower behind you, yep. don't you? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise you could be anywhere. Yep. So if you're in Florence, where is it so iconic that you could be nowhere else? And there's a museum there called the Academia de Galleria mm. that houses Michelangelo's David, mm. the most famous statue in the planet. Mm. And I thought to myself, I wonder if this museum would shut down for basically half a day so I can have a dinner party in the evening. <laughs> so that was my go for stupid moment. And one of my tricks uh, is I never introduce myself. Yep. Okay. I always get someone else of power to make the introduction. Yes. So I float in on that credibility. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. well, I phoned up two families that I knew in Florence. One of them said, can't help you. The other one said, I can help you and contacted the academia and got me introduced. They said, yes. <laughs> Brilliant. And I was like, excellent. I don't need me other ones. Yeah. <clears throat> so I threw, I threw a dinner party. I closed the museum down at four, uh, three o'clock in the afternoon till two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Uh, we had a well-known chef in the area come in. We had a string quartet. And we had this table set up at the feet of Michelangelo's David and the entire museum set up just for the clients to come along at nine o'clock at night. Lovely. Now, you always, you always got to give yourself lead time. And I had um, 72 hours to pull this off. I was expecting the museum to tell me to go screw myself and then spend the next (laughs) day and a half. By 1030 on the Monday morning, I had the venue. Yeah. And so I was like, 
well, I've got two days now, you know, well, what, what we're gonna do. you know, yes, I'm going to enjoy wandering around yeah. Florence, but what can I do to make this even stupider? <laughs> okay. So I got during the, uh, during them eating that pasta, I told him that I had found a local entertainer that I wanted to come in and, and serenade them during that pasta. Was that acceptable? And my client was like, yes, that's great, Steve. I brought in Andrea Bocelli to serenade them <laughs> while they're eating their food. Brilliant. So, that was one that was one that got heavily reported that I'd that I'd pulled off. And it was just a fantastic event. Um and they were like, I remember the one of the forks, I don't know which one of the, the, the members, but they dropped a fork as Andrea Bocelli as I led him in to serenade them. So that was <laughs> mate, that was pretty cool. That's, cool. that's the kind of stuff that I do. Yeah, mate. Give us another one. Tell us another one. Tell us about the Titanic. Oh well, James Cameron was going down to the Titanic a lot as he was getting prepared for the actual movie. Yeah. And I had a lot of people around the planet just saying to me, I want to be on that. I want to be on that. I want to go down and see the Titanic. How do I do it? So um I found out that there was a company in New Zealand that actually looked after all the submersibles that were going down for the filming for the Titanic. Yeah. Okay. And at the time of doing the filming, James Cameron was actually doing these documentaries on how the thing split and all that kind of stuff. So it was a big scientific thing behind it, mm. but a lot of the footage was being used for what would end up being the movie. The thing is the submersible that goes down on the outside of it, it's got claws and temperature gauges <laughs> and pressure gauges and, and cameras and all. Nothing's inside. Yeah. It's a tiny little sub that's basically controlled from up top. So what we did was we suddenly started um, through this group in uh, New Zealand that, ha- uh, that owned the submarines through Russia that actually owned the ship that dropped the submarines in, we were able to put basically high-paying tourists three at a time into this submersible. It would take two and a half hours to go down, (coughs) two hours down there, and then another two hours to come back up. And we were selling spots uh, to to sit. What what sort of money? What sort of money per person? Well, back then it was sixty-eight thousand dollars per it? person. Was it? Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, sixty-eight grand per person. Oh my god! And how much? How much was it? How much is it a man for the Florence gig? Oh, I can't. I can't. There's some things I can't disclose, okay. but that one I can't. Was it big? But, yeah, it was yeah, big. It was big. <laughs> that's a big, I got it. I that's got a big a smile on your face, there, Steve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was quite a few motorbikes purchased for that one. Uh, I collect motorcycles. That's yeah. my uh, disease. But um, probably one of the other ones, I can't really go into too much detail, but just to tease you with, was um, I had a couple that retained me to get a married in the Vatican by the Pope. You're joking me. Yeah. My God. My God, yeah, what so year was that? the kind of people I was uh, um, chatting with. Sorry? What, what year was that? Five years ago. Was it? Bloody hell. Yeah, I had a book come out, uh, Bluefish and the Art of Making Things Happen, about three years ago. And then I started moving more and more away from the concierge and the wish fulfillment into personal branding and marketing for, for entrepreneurs. Yeah. So most of the stuff kind of stopped around about three years ago. Yeah. And tell us about your book, Bluefish. Well, I just, it was funny. And again, it's all to do with the room you're in. Yeah. If you've got a fantastic room of people, <clears throat> magical things happen. Yeah. But I was in a room, uh, I was in a party up in New York literally just at the end of the bar, drinking old fashions, telling stories. (laughs) And this woman was brought over uh, and introduced to me. And I didn't know who she was, you know, and I'm like, hey, we shared a couple of stories. And then she contacted me the following week and she was one of the heads of Simon & Schuster, one of the largest publishing houses in America. And she's like, we want you to do a book on all of the the powerful people you've worked with. And I said, look, if I did that, I'd be dead by cocktail hour. So no. (laughs) Cocktail hour quality. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, she said to me, uh, well, okay. She said, and we started talking about my past. And she said, well, how does a bricklayer from London end up doing this with like the Pope and Elon Musk? Yeah. You know, how, how does that happen? <laughs> and as we were chatting on the phone, about three days later, I got another email from her with another contract where she wanted to go through um, how, what is the art of making things happen? How do, how do you, with basically no qualifications, no college, end up lecturing at Harvard twice, you know? Yeah. So give us these tips and tricks. So we, I thought it'd be fun because I can't spell for shit. <laughs> um, and I wanted to play around with my kids because let's be serious, kids kids never admire you. Yeah. Kids never go, oh my dad, you're so, yeah. you're well done. You're so powerful. You're so yeah. connected. 
kids are, kids always treat you like shit. That's their job, you know. <laughs> they they keep you humbled. And I thought to be able to show my kids that I didn't finish school, I can't spell. But oh, by the way, here's my book. Yeah. I just thought that'd be funny. Yeah. I did the book. I got paid very well to do it, <clears> and I thought to myself, "There you go, done a book." And it completely turned my world upside down. Um, the book's been translated in Polish, Mandarin, Chinese, uh, Thai, Korean, Vietnamese. Uh, it's going. On, it's now being translated into Russian. Yeah, it's been a bestseller all over the place. But um, I literally just—it just turned my world upside down, and that's why I do coaching, speaking, training, and lives. And it's just been a, a really incredible journey. Well, you've had some—you've had some journey, mate. What gets you up in the morning? Oh, why wouldn't you? Are yeah. you kidding? Yeah. You know, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to get up because I still have, I still have like a little handful of clients, yeah. which are just maniacs with a checkbook, yeah. which are the best things. <laughs> so I'll get a client in the morning that will say, hey, I'm, I want to I wanna launch a vegan line of lipsticks. <laughs> or, you know, hey, I'd like to shut down Buckingham Palace yeah. for, for a house party. Can you make you know, it happen? Yeah, so I yeah. still get these kind of things. And I have uh, coaching clients and I have branding clients. Uh, we, we launched a company called Sims Media. So we do a lot of marketing and branding for some amazing people and some amazing products who want to just do things differently. Yeah. And the second they allow you to do things differently, you can look at how all the other assholes are doing it. <laughs> don't, don't they all look the same? Yeah. You know, yeah. whenever you look at a company, they all look the exact yeah. bloody same. So for you to stand out, the first thing you got to do is stand up yep. and then stand out. Yeah. So that's what we do. So I wake up in the morning and this is my ritual. I put the coffee on, I click to wake up the computer. And then I literally just go, right, what madness can I yeah, get up to today? Quality. And I just want to see what happens. So I'm all over the bloody moon. I love my life. Yeah. And I still think I'm going to get shut down in a month. <laughs> Mate, but that's what keeps you on your toes, right? Yeah, it's, it's great fun. Yeah, that's what entrepreneurs about, mate. Keep you keep on your toes and not not get settled, mate. That's quality. Tell me about uh, guest speaking. Is that something that you're that you that you are pushing more these days? I don't think I ever pushed it. No. I just got people saying to me, "Look, you know, would you speak on stage?" Yeah. Um, and I've literally travelled all over the planet doing that. So mm. literally on the website, um, shallow plug, stevedsims.com. Yeah. Um, we put up there the kind of things that I could get up to. Yeah. And uh, so I put up there, if you want me to speak at your event, and I've spoken in you know, China, Thailand, Mexico, Maui, you know, Detroit, all over the planet. Yeah. Um, and it just, it just took off because I couldn't understand. And Dodge, me and you are very similar. You know, I yeah. noticed that in a conversation before, and yeah. especially more now. Yeah. We look at things differently. Yeah. And we look at how to simplify things. Yep, absolutely. And you get so many companies out there that go, well, if I'm going to be successful, I've got to overcomplicate, overarticulate, overpronounce everything. Confuse yourself. Yeah, confuse the shit out of everyone. <laughs> um, and then everyone's like, what is that about? You know, how many times you, the classic ones are the, the perfume adverts at Christmas. You watch a perfume advert and, you know, two thirds of the way through the advert, you're like, What's the freaking advert the- for? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, someone lifts up a bottle from the toilet and At goes to your door. Yeah. And you're like, oh, right, okay. But, you know, people are just confusing so much. Now. And the downside <clears throat> is, with with so many people moving away from TV, yeah. you know, and let's be serious, a lot of people now watch TV from their computers. Yeah. And a lot of people pay for subscriptions where there's no adverts. When you've got a two-minute perfume ad, the person's got bored after yeah. the first ten, 10 seconds and turned off. Agree. Tell us about Elton John, the parties you put on for Elton, and what's Elton John like as a man? Oh, straight shooter. Yeah, straight shooter. I will say he's got a bit of a bitch streak on yeah, him. I've heard. Uh, you know, if no, and it's well reported, so it's not going to yeah. shake anyone's yeah. feathers by knowing that. Um, I've seen people going up to him, going, "Oh, can I get a photograph?" And he's had his photographer go, "Absolutely," and then he's posed with the guy. And uh, the guy's gone, oh, great. How do I get that photograph? And he's gone, you don't. You wanted a photograph? I got one. I got <laughs> you know? So um, he, has got, he has got a cold shoulder on him. Yeah. Um, he's very strong. He knows his position. He's actually not good with too many people. Yeah. Um, but he likes to have a conversation. So all these people that are kind of like throwing themselves all over his feet, he's not interested. But he had an event. He has an event. Um, the Elton John 
uh, AIDS Foundation throws one of the greatest parties in uh, Los Angeles uh, on Oscar night. And all the celebrities turn up to the thing. And it was starting to kind of like, you know, dwindle a little bit and kind of like, you know, lose a little bit of its shine. And so I got in there and got involved and started marketing, promoting it to get the right kind of caliber of clients to come back. Ticket prices uh, went from three and a half grand to five and a half grand. So straight away that got jacked up. So they were making more money, getting a better pedigree of people in there. Win-win. That was spending more money on the auction items. They were making more money. So I was with them for, um, I was with them for eight years. uh, And the last year, the, the, the year after uh, I left, we, we, we hit COVID. So, yeah. you know, it's a shame. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I wasn't in – I did enjoy that time. Bump. It's funny when you're kind of getting, like, you know, a little bit jazzed up at the bar and, you know, next to you is uh, Steven Tyler and on the other side of you is Quincy Jones and <laughs> then you walk around a corner and there'll be, like, Angelina Jolie. And it's just it, – it was – Do you have to pinch yourself sometimes? I do, yeah. you know, and I think that's I think that's one of the um, one of the things about being an entrepreneur. Never take it for granted. Like yeah. you said about staying on your heels. Yeah. I've literally just been like sat in the corner of a tent with Gordon Ramsay chatting about food. Yeah, you know, and you think to yourself, "Hang on a minute, I'm saying with Gordon." Yeah. You know, and it's, <laughs> you you do kind of have this little giggle um, about that kind of stuff, yeah. um, and I think the death of it. It's when you start taking it for granted. Granted. Um, yeah, mate. I'm still the Irish kid from, you know, from Reading that just gets into places and, you know, shits and giggles. I, I was stood next to, there's a picture of me with Elton John because the first year that I worked for Elton John, I wanted a selfie. Yeah. You know, it would be good for business. Yeah. It'd be good for credibility. Yeah. And then I saw how pissed off he was with everyone trying to get a selfie yeah. with him. And I was like, shit can't get it yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. so i let it go yeah i think it was like the fifth year at the beginning of the party we had a big sponsor coming i think it was citibank and the where, director where was the party in los angeles hello yeah 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 and uh it's san vicente park in yeah. santa monica boulevard and uh they put up this massive marquee that from the outside looks like a damn great tent yeah from the inside just looks an incredible yeah. event yeah um and the directors of Citibank had built into the contract that they got to meet Elton John before the event and get some pictures. So I got a call that afternoon going, hey, they want to do this photo shoot. By the way, Steve, we haven't had a picture together. Do you want to shoot down and we'll get a picture? I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I jumped on down there and there's a, a picture of me, Elton, and, and Dave Furnish yeah. just kind of like giving the old B sign yeah. and getting a Just having a in laugh. Yeah, mate. You know? And then he, and but the, the funny thing was, I used to turn up at the party. The party starts at three o'clock in the afternoon because all Hollywood award shows start at five o'clock in the afternoon yeah. so that they can be televised live. Yeah. So in LA, they always start real early. And at five o'clock, there's usually like a two or three hour dinner. Yeah. It can be a bit long winded. Yeah. So what I used to do was I used to miss that part out, <clears throat> turn up at nine o'clock. And then party into the yeah. <coughs> wee hours of the morning. Yeah. I'd miss out the dinner. Yeah, the boring bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I had to get toffed up, get my tux on and everything, shoot down, get the photograph taken. And then he was like, right, piss off. See you at nine. <laughs> I was like, yep, see you later. <laughs> so I then went home again, took off the tux, had dinner with the family, put it back on again, <laughs> and went back down to the party. But I got my pictures. Quality, mate. Quality. Hey, what's the biggest check you've been written to throw <clears throat> a party? Just for a party. Okay, yeah. you're being specific yeah. on the party. Yeah. Uh seven fifty. Seven fifty grand. Wow. Yeah, that was uh that was Monaco. Wow, wow, wow. That's big dollar. Yeah, yeah. That was actually uh that there was rent, but there was it was a two day event. So uh you know, a two night event. They had you know a dinner party on one night and then they had the big bash the following night. And when you so, when you get written when two. you get written a seven fifty grand check, in your mind you're thinking, right, I need to spend half a bar or five hundred grand or six hundred grand and then whatever's left over is mine. Are you ever nervous that you're not spending enough money? Is that always in the back of your mind that the client's gonna be happy? What goes through your mind? <laughs> I'm never worried I'm not spending enough no. money. Okay. Uh, never worried about that. Um what I worry about is that I always try to make sure in everything I do that the client feels as though they ripped me off. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. I want them to go, bloody hell, I can't I can't, can't believe be- I got away with 750. <laughs> so 
what I do is I realized very early on, and this is another problem with entrepreneurs. Yeah. Entrepreneurs think they can do everything. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the first thing you've got to do is learn how to delegate. Yeah. Um, I realized after writing so many contracts and so many invoices, uh, there was one famous invoice that I wrote to someone. And then by the time I'd finished paying for his event, I out of pocket spent 50 grand for his event. <laughs> and I was like, I invoiced it so badly. The classic one is you don't think about the incidentals like cleaners. Oh, it's all the you know, bits on top, isn't it? Yeah. It's secure. Yeah. You don't think about yeah. those things. So, yeah. and they mount up, yeah. you know? Um, so I, when I realized I was actually invoicing badly, the first thing I did was uh, my wife took over the invoicing and started to work with a CPA. Uh, CPA? Actually, a chartered professional accountant. Yeah. It's, a, it's an accountant here. Yeah. Um, like a CFO. Yeah. Um, so she started working with him and then she was like, no, I'm taking that on. So quite simply, I would look at something. I'm the visionary. Yeah. You know, how can we do this? Oh, that can yeah. be that. Same. You know, and then I get them to email Claire so Claire can start collating how much it's going to cost. Yeah. And Claire, your wife. Sorry? Claire, your, yeah, Claire's Claire, your wife. Yeah, Claire's my wife. So yeah. 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 So Claire, Claire kind of like bits it all down and piecemeals it out. Yeah. Um, then you automatically put 25% on it for incidentals. Yeah. You know, overage on alcohol. Yeah. You know, <laughs> maybe a car gets scraped yeah. when they were picking up a client. So there's the incidentals. Then you stick 30% on there as a profit margin. Yeah. Okay. Now the profit margin may change depending on how special your relationship is. Yep. So you may put 50% on it because you know for a while that client could get nowhere near that person without you, yeah. you know? So it depends on that kind of thing. But then you build it all up. And we always say, look, if we find that there is surplus, then that'll be repaid to you, yeah. okay? But um, the, the goal is to, like Florence, how can I make this better? How can I yeah. make this better? How can I make... And you just keep over-delivering. Yeah. And here's... Here's a classic line for all entrepreneurs out there to write down. Never give a client what they ask for. Mm. Give them what they lust and desire yep. for. Yep. And therefore, you're over-delivering. And they turn up at the birthday party and all of a sudden Cirque du Soleil are over their head. And they're like, holy, <laughs> holy shit. shit. <laughs> you know? And um, I have never, ever, ever had... I've never had anyone want money back. Yep. And nine times out of ten, I'm tipped for the event that we put together. Yeah, loving it, loving it, Steve. Quick one before we finish up. What advice would you give for the next generation of events kids coming through, your 17 to 30-year-olds? Oh, easy. Yeah. Keep dreaming. Yeah. You know, too many people now stop dreaming and they're frightened. We're frightened to announce a ridiculous dream or a ridiculous idea. Yep. Think okay? big. Go crazy. Yep. Go for stupid. Think of things <laughs> that are so ridiculous the people will be talking about them for the next 10 years. Yep. You know, that's what you got. So for those young entrepreneurs out yep. there, dream. Absolutely. Mate, great bit of advice. Steve, I've absolutely loved this, mate. I could speak to you for hours. Thank you very much for coming on, mate. And um, let's stay in touch. We're going to do it, pal. We'll, uh, we'll obviously share some whiskey when I'm over your side of the 100%, bud. You take care, mate. Look after yourself. Good Thanks man. for having Cheers, me. Cheers, Steve. <laughs>